1: Lorraine, how is your main character energy today? Do you know what I'm talking about? I've got a vague idea
0: because of the teenagers <laughs> and their TikTok addiction. What's what's your understanding of
1: it, little well, Trish? Well, apart from being a bit of Gen Z kind of piffle, um, <laughs> piffle, it's this term that they use to positively describe themselves to others. And it's all about you have to romanticize your life and start thinking of yourself as the main character in your life. Is that what you've heard? I've been doing that all my life that's because,
0: <laughs> as we know, I am ridiculous. You are the star I, I of the show. I always make an entrance mm. and an exit as if I am the main character in some kind of ridiculous Hollywood blockbuster. Mm. That's why I love Moira Rose from Shit's Creek. I'm basically her. You aren't are. I? Is that, is that or
1: who you're channeling?
0: From Blackadder. I often, that's <gasps> one of my main character yes, energies. Yes, yeah. I accept.
1: Does that mean I suppose I'm one of your supporting characters there?
0: <laughs> Mercy. <laughs> I don't Um, think you are, Nurse. Not the little
1: rancid one. What's he called? Can you remember him?
0: (laughs) Baldrick. Baldrick. What about Lord Flashheart? I wish you were Lord
1: Flashheart. Yeah, I like like him. Hello. 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 Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy and we're on a mission to help
0: you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family and as always the challenges and joys of parenting teens.
1: Today's episode is a bit of a milestone for us because it's the 50th postcards from midlife. Woohoo! (laughs) Woohoo! <laughs> did you make me a cake trish because you're a bit of a star baker on the quiet aren't you well i am but i'm afraid i have failed on that one i did contemplate icing your face onto a hobnob as a special treat for you because i know they're your favorites but <laughs> they are they such couldn't be bothered in the end couldn't be bothered or cba as the teens say in my household oh, yeah. do you know you know what that stands for can't, can't be, be asked I can't know be that. asked yeah i know that
0: BFTF. I'm gonna drop that one in for you. Do you know what that B-f-t-f, means? BFTF, no. Best friend in the family. It's oh. A very divisive one. <laughs> I am not Mabel's BFTF this week is all oh. you need to know. Oh, and dear. the dog okay. is not my BFTF. Okay. Anyway, so I think we shouldn't have cake. I think we'll have champagne instead because we have got quite a lot to celebrate, haven't we? <laughs> Over the past year and a bit since we started this podcasting malarkey. And may I just add 50 episodes in, we still had to ask you if your microphone was put in. (laughs) We, We have spoken to the most incredible midlife women and a few men, and we're going to be
1: jibber jabbering about some of our highlights in a very short while. And our 50th guest has a lot to celebrate too. She's the best-selling writer of a book that Lorraine and I both loved and were actually reading when we began plotting this podcast yes. back in 2019, weren't we? It was Lisa Tadeo, and that book was called Three Women and it was the stories, they were real life stories of the sex and romantic lives of three American women and it put female desire firmly in the spotlight. I mean, I can't recommend it highly enough and now she has a new novel out called Animal which is another landmark for women because it explores range Age and the impact of trauma as we go through our lives. Well, I loved Three Women. If someone asked you the question, which book do
0: you wish you'd written? I think that would be mm. the one that I would answer. And I loved it so much when I saw it on a proof before it came out that I signed Lisa up actually as a columnist mm. at Style Magazine. And it was yes. quite a hard sell into the editor at at the Sunday Times, Lisa Taddeo, especially when I Mm. explained what the book was. And um, I think probably one of the highlights of the pieces she wrote for us was the politics of anal sex, which I (laughs) count as quite an achievement to get in the Sunday Times. But she really does nail it with Mm. desire and women and loss and everything that we go through is absolutely gripping. Mm -hmm. Now, I've got something else that's been gripping this week. Mm -hmm. I have been on a roller coaster. That's a pun, Trish
1: what do you think I've been doing well I know shall I spoil it do you want to tell them yeah go on spoil it yeah <laughs> uh, you, you've been trying hair rollers haven't you oh, for the first time in ever yes
0: <laughs> well it's taken me five decades to uh give them a go and I only discovered them by accident which I will go into
1: later yeah, because you're you're going to have to contain your excitement for a little bit longer until the tried and tested section later in the show, and I'm going to be talking about hair too because I've been trying out colour shampoos to see if it's worth the bother using one of them, yeah. or rather, can you be asked to use? Can them? you be asked? Can yes. you be asked? Um, are you inventing this
0: Gen Z speak? you doing a guide. <laughs> I should try. On your own no, I shouldn't
1: bother. Really, yeah.
0: It's not very main character energy. Your Mm. teams will be mortified. They will be as mortified, Trish, as if they could be asked, which they won't be, to listen to our nostalgia noodles because we are going to be revealing this really Mm. will mortify everybody, actually. And I really don't know why I agreed to do these things with you, but somehow you put them in the script and I just say yes. We're going to be revealing our first kisses. (laughs) Real kisses. Not with each other, because no. that would be weird. That would we be weird.
1: That. Teenage kisses. Later and in actually, mid-life. I have to yeah. say, I'm trying to keep a straight face ever since you told me the name of your snogger. <laughs> because Thank you. it's worth listening to the entire episode of this podcast just to get to that part, to find Thanks. out the name Thanks, of the mate. person who Rain first kissed. <laughs> So I might not have made you a cake, Lorraine, to celebrate our 50th episode, but we do have a shiny new website, don't we, called postcardsfrommidlife.com, where you can find all the episodes and the guests that we've had on the show, as well as information on some of the key topics we like to talk about, such as menopause, midlife transitions, sex and relationships, fashion and beauty. And we actually navigate you to the most useful episodes for all of these on the website. So do take a look. Yes, because we do like to be useful because that is a
0: lifetime of journalism for you. Mm. It's what we're trained for. It's our DNA. And it's why we started this podcast in the first place. So Trish, do you remember that when we started
1: in that first proper recording I studio know, it was when we had Meg Matthews and Susie hmm. Godson in? We had proper microphones that were always plugged in, not like my silly one here on my desk. Well, if
0: someone wants to have a look on my Instagram, there is a video of you knocking the boom <laughs> bit off your microphone and actually plugging that in in a studio. So it's obviously yes. something deeply yeah. psychological yeah. Oh, with you and microphones. When exactly. the pandemic hit, didn't it? Well, it and-
1: did. Yeah. And we had, had to do move we do? On to Zoom. We moved on to zoom and we thought it was going to be a disaster but it actually meant we were able to interview more women more brilliant women across the country because they didn't have to come to our studio and they were across the oceans too so we've been in across the irish sea to Marion keys's sitting room in dublin um makeup artist bobby brown's hotel room in florida and trini woodall's wardrobe where she whipped off her top and started trying on clothes in the middle
0: of the interview we didn't know what
1: was going on quite a moment for that
0: also we recorded one in a car i seem to remember car park because (laughs) I don't even know why we had to do that but we managed to work all the tech out for ourselves Mm. it was extraordinary so I have picked a few things to talk about okay the man the moment and the magic
1: what have you done well it sounds like a a Barry Manilow song the man the moment and the magic is it (laughs) well why don't you tell us about your man your moment and the magic okay go on
0: right we've done two men officially and one man accidentally on the podcast (laughs) We did Mike Gale mm-hmm. as he turned 50, fantastic author, used to be an agony aunt for me when I was at Cosmopolitan. We also did Professor Michael Baum. And I think mm-hmm. if you have any worries about HRT or you have any questions we went right to the source here didn't we to talk about how it affects women and how it should be the first line of prescription i mean he is amazing he's basically the man who invented tamoxifen wasn't he yeah he's Um,
1: a breast cancer he has saved yeah he gives you lots of good advice about how hrt might impact in terms of breast cancer or might not more importantly yeah he Mm -hmm. was brilliant he came in with katie his daughter who
0: talked about her own menopause and perimenopause she runs so the lardy those there, two you? she does katie mm. yes she's brilliant you should check that out on facebook those two were great and then we had an accidental mm. talking of blackadder trish
1: Why well, no, it's a what thief? i did
0: there <gasps> yes subconscious Christ, that's almost a professional yeah type
1: Exactly. A little. yeah we
0: sure had enough. richard curtis yes, pop up did. when we interviewed Emma Freud, in we? the kit Talking about his perimenopause. Was. Oh, no, he didn't talk about <laughs> like that. No, but he was <laughs> exactly. very good. So we've done three men. <laughs> and I think the moment of the last 50 episodes of Postcards from Midnight for me was when we interviewed Davina and...
1: Mm. It,
0: it was just extraordinary. So she told her story uh, during the week that the groundbreaking Channel 4 documentary went out and the week the menopause charity was launched. Um, mm. After the charity was launched, 9,000, and it's still going up, GPs signed up to their oh free program to That's be trained amazing. in menopause care, which mm-hmm. is extraordinary. And I call it the moment because it really felt like a moment to, to me yeah. because we we began this conversation so long ago and we were mm-hmm. waiting for Davina to come on so that we could highlight the documentary so it was a real moment for me mm-hmm. and the magic for me was our little I liked Elizabeth Hurley and her puppies oh you know what I'm talking about don't <laughs> I, you? I do actual <laughs> puppies. Espanol, hey I liked going gosh. into Catlin Moran's pod in the garden yes, yes that that's... was very enjoyable that was one we did well. in person yeah wasn't it and I may, mostly liked doing it live I think our fourth <gasps> ever oh. podcast because we just went at it at 100 miles mm. and I was live at the Barbican with Kate Garraway just after yes. she'd come out of the jungle from I'm a Celebrity. Right. yeah. So We've had quite a journey, haven't we? We have, and, and we've indeed. We've learned a few things along I the way. I think
1: we've learned things ourselves. And there are definitely things that um, that I know I've learned that I'm doing now, which I would never have been doing if we hadn't started this podcast. I mean, there's a Tell whole list them. of them. Well, shall I do, I'll do a few? My three favorites are in the episode about sleep with sleep specialist Catherine Pinkham. And she talks about CBT, cognitive yeah. behavior therapy for insomnia. And I, I've been doing this. She says, when you wake up in the night, as we always do, do not get up do not think I need to go to the loo and go to the bathroom or I need to just don't do it and then you will should fall back to sleep, and that really worked for me. So, I i that's a change was, of thinking, it's a complete mindset shift in the middle of the night, which has been brilliant. HRT, as I've talked about before, I don't think I would be on HRT if we hadn't done this podcast and interviewed Dr. Shazari Harper. So, I am yes, because you really have breast cancer in the
0: family, don't you? And yeah. You really researched it, and we've talked exactly. about exactly. And
1: shazadi was amazing at kind of explaining the risks, etc. And you know, I have literally been a different woman since being on that for the last. Sort of 18 months. And then my favourite tongue scraping with possibly one of the most glamorous women we have interviewed, Karen Cummings Palmer, who's a kind of beauty and wellness expert. She's just gorgeous. Anyway, I thought if Karen's doing it, I'm going to do it. And basically you do it every morning as soon as you get up. You don't drink the glass of water by your bed. You don't brush your teeth. You scrape your tongue. It's Ayurvedic and it gets rid of all the ghastliness and means you're not going to swallow or ingest anything. You get everything out of your mouth. You brush your teeth. So that one. What are you doing that with? With a tongue. (laughs) but i wipe myself do it, down with we? her furry tail afterwards yes they scrape their tongues on all sorts of things they've got very rough tongues mostly their bottoms as far as oh i can my tell God, yeah, let's not go there what about you Get, hit you with a couple of things that you are doing that you would never <laughs> well, have done. um
0: I am breast checking after Elizabeth oh. Hurley. I have to say my mm. own breasts only, obviously. It really has to be done. And yeah. it's just something you forget. I learned all about progesterone. Mm. I hadn't really worked out how to take it, why to take it. And I've learned that from Louise Newson when mm. she came on. Also, retinol. When we oh, had the beauty guru yes. Caroline Herons, on mm. she talked a bit about retinol and I did some investigating and I do put it on overnight now Trish which mm-hmm. is why I look 2 years younger than you you do <laughs>
1: You are looking very fresh-faced, very (laughs) fresh-faced. But we have got lots more exciting midlife guests lined up um, over the coming episodes. So we do hope that you will stay listening to those. And also do check out the website for any of those ones that maybe you haven't listened to before, because there's just like, if we wrote down all the information, my goodness, it covers everything. It's like Encyclopedia Britannica for midlife women. It's very good. But right, dream guest. Come on. I know you've got one.
0: Well, you know who I love. And yes. um, she has talked quite uh, openly about her menopause um, in the White House. Oh. I mean, imagine going through the yes. menopause in the White House <laughs> oh. with Barack Obama. My dream guest is Michelle Obama. Oh. and I won't stop till she no. is either on my Zoom or I am sitting quite close yeah. to her somewhere in a studio. Yes, that
1: would be so nice. Who's your dream guest? Well, I'm going for Kate Winslet because I just loved it so much. And I heard her on the radio this morning and she's just so good on midlife women and being kinder to ourselves and being okay with our bodies and being and just being just generally brilliant and doing that mad pennsylvanian accent we could get she has that.
0: she's the kind of character lisa today would write isn't yes she, she is actually,
1: yes but with a bit more sex i think yeah Lisa Tadeo is an American journalist and best-selling author whose debut book Three Women was a profound investigation into female desire that had both readers and critics equally enthralled when it was published in 2019. Her new book Animal is her first foray into fiction and is an erotic emotional thriller encompassing female rage, passion, trauma and loss. Lisa 41 is mother to a six-year-old daughter Fox and is married to screenwriter Jackson Waite who she is currently working on a TV adaptation
2: of Three Women with.
1: Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Lisa. Thank you so
2: much for having me. It's an absolute honor.
1: Oh, well, we absolutely can't wait for your TV adaptation of Three Women. How is that going? And when are we likely to see it?
2: We are hoping to begin shooting in the fall, I don't know, maybe in like a year. You're screenwriting it.
1: You'll be involved on the actual production. Will you be involved
2: in the casting? I mean, goodness,
1: you know, casting Lena, Sloane and Maggie. Wow.
2: really exciting. Yes, we're actually talking to actors and directors right now and we're Mm -hmm. having um, lots of conversations and it's been an amazing embarrassment of riches Mm -hmm. in the quality of the actors who are interested in, in the roles. It's more than I could have ever hoped for and it's really exciting
1: and will the and maggie, real women themselves actually yeah. have a say in it so me.
2: maggie is a consultant on the show okay because it yeah. will be her real name being used it's the same as the book where you know we are in fact fictionalizing a, a little bit here and there but maggie is the story that is because it's we're using her real name the same way that we did in the book. Mm-hmm. I guess as a brief
0: synopsis for the two people who were away <laughs> and didn't read the book, <laughs> Sloane, Maggie and Lena are three women you followed really after a decade of journalism tracking women to talk about desire. There was a court case with Maggie because she allegedly had a relationship with a teacher. Sloane was an extraordinary woman whose husband liked to watch her have sex with other people male and female and I guess Lena she resonated most with me in a way and I felt her story was so extraordinary because you sort of went on some of her assignations with her boyhood sweetheart because Hello. her husband had said to her he didn't want to kiss her on the lips anymore so if you haven't read the book that's the synopsis so I mean I should imagine the actresses wanting to play those women would, would be amazing we're in a glowing time of tv talent at the moment aren't we is Kate Winslet in there is that what you're telling me <laughs> Nicole Kidman no, I (laughs)
2: I mean, I don't know what I will, I will tell you offline.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So exciting. So exciting. It was such a sensation, the book, but it really resonated with women. And what's the feedback been over the last year or so with it? Because you're still getting feedback. What have women told you it's meant to them?
2: I can't tell you how gratifying it is to, not even for the book to have been successful and and you know to continue to sell it, which is more than i had ever expected and hoped for but on top of that what i really was not at, even more so unprepared for was the amount of people that had been touched by it and not even me, my book, but these women's stories and and their bravery and speaking and hearing from people who felt seen because their stories felt reflected or refracted in some way by these women, even if, you know, the women grew up in entirely different socioeconomic areas, different races, you know, even if a woman was in love with a man, but a reader identified as a lesbian, the amount of sort of, connection to their stories has been so amazing. You know, I mean, there's obviously a lot of things that I wish I'd Done differently, or there's things about telling other people's stories that's difficult because it's telling someone else's story. It feels for me at certain points like a betrayal. But when people say things like reading about Maggie's story saved my life and stuff like that, that's been the kind of stuff that has made it feel so worth it.
0: But it really opened the door to a huge number of debates about female desire and lust and how we feel it and how our lives are affected by it before we feel it and the awakening, actually, for some of the women. So what
2: have you learned about that? You know, I think that one of the things that we have been so, uh, with the Me Too movement, and and we have been so good at at talking about what we don't want to hear or feel from men, but I do, one of the things I was feeling... when I was writing the book and even after and, and, and the sort of the now of it, it feels like we still excoriate women for wanting the wrong man or having the wrong desire, wanting career over family or family over career, whatever it is, wherever we are in the world, we are in these little pockets of judgment. And we judge each other for the things that go against the kinds of strictures of our communities. And with three women, what was important to me, Lena's story, for example, the the woman in Indiana who had a liaison with her high school boyfriend, what I wanted to show what was so important to me about Lena's story in specific was, look here, this woman is going after this man who is also married and he wasn't treating her beautifully, let's Mm -hmm. say, but she was so into him and and not so much into him, but into the space that he filled in her that had never been filled. And I think that to judge what that thing is that we go after, it, it just makes it so hard. Let's say we like someone who doesn't like us back That's hard enough to deal with that emotion. But to have our friends and sisters and colleagues and whomever say, oh, you can't like that guy. You know, to have women being aggressive towards other women about their desires, I think is really wounding.
1: Before you sort of wrote the three stories, you talked to an awful lot more women on this project. Because I think the three women are in their 20s and 30s. Is that right? Uh, Did you talk to women in their 40s, 50s and beyond? I think the idea of where does desire sit in those midlife Years and how do we stay true to our feelings and emotions and don't just bury things and ignore them for an easy life
2: yeah well sloan was in her 40s i did i spoke to many women there was one woman who i was speaking to who was in her 70s she was a widow but the real love story she had lost was like the first man she had been with and she was somewhat reconnecting with him but she also went i don't know if you guys have it in the uk but we have something called our time which is like match.com for, I I think it's like starting at 50 maybe, but uh, she was meeting men on our time and going on dates with them. And it was really, really interesting. And it was its own story. Eventually she was one of the people who started to get nervous about how much of her life was kind of going to be out there. So Mm -hmm. she was one of the people who, wanted to pull back and and wanted to take sort of things out but i couldn't take stuff out of her story without kind of not having a, a reason for the story yeah. to be I think women in midlife, there's that reawakening and we always talk about it. It's, you know, women in in their forties and fifties and and beyond. I feel like we get to this place where we are finally all of those years of like, of being worried about, about all these things and the way that we look and all that. It's Mm -hmm. kind of, you're kind of like, oh, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's just like this feeling of whatever. Yeah, There's such a power in the not caring and the power comes As uh, our society is telling us that we need to like, you know, use this cream and that filler and and all, all that to stay looking like the people we were when we didn't have that confidence. I do find it really compelling, especially with women older than me, just to hear the sort of paths that things take and the the loosening of one's strictures on their own Mm -hmm. fellows. I think
0: think women, certainly from some of the women we've talked to and interviewed who are starting in new relationships, have a kind of sexual awakening in midlife because you might look back and think, have I had enough sex?
2: Did (laughs) I have good sex? Mm -hmm.
0: Why have I only had sex with one gender? Because you question everything, I think, when you hit about 45 I'd be interested if the lady in her 70s had had any kind of sexual awakening because I think Gen X are having that. You know, we're in our early 50s now. And I think we've lived through a time when we look back and think we weren't as constricted as our parents around it. But did we have enough?
2: (laughs) Did we do enough? Did you hear that
0: from the women that you talked to or particularly the lady in her 70s? It's intriguing. Um,
2: Yes. I mean, I don't know if she said it specifically that way. There was definitely this kind of like, Oh, I think especially when you've spent a long time with your children, you know, and then your children are suddenly leaving the nest and you're like oh man i just gave you all these years sloan in a sense was having a sexual reawakening. that's kind of what made her feel okay about what she was doing it was like she was already doing this stuff but she was feeling weird about it and then she had this awakening and it made her feel okay with it
0: what have you learned from writing a book about desire how has it affected your own intimate relationships
2: it's made me feel infinitely less cool than the people that I've talked to. You know, when you write a book like this or when you write any kind of a thing that deals with a deeper granular feelings, people will come up to you and and talk to you freely because they feel like you, you get it and you're not gonna judge them. And it's really interesting to hear people who I would never have imagined having the sorts of adventurous sex lives and desires that they do and talking to them. I'm just like, oh, wow. I feel like almost everyone in the world is more exciting than me of all the people that
1: (laughs) I don't know if I'm in tune with my desires and needs. It's never too late, I guess, to think about what your desires and needs are. But I do think when you're in a long-term monogamous relationship, you don't think about it. You don't even think about maybe your emotions around sex and, and your emotions around desire. I mean, what do we do about that? I don't know. Um,
2: I the other day, I was like, I need to lose weight. But I think the only way for me to do that is to have an affair. <laughs> because you have to keep taking your clothes off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I just don't know how this is going to work. You're like, you make me feel too secure. And oh. it's interesting. I think that Esther Perel is an mm-hmm. absolute dynamo of of understanding specifically I think she's amazing with midlife you know one of the things that she says you know we're in our 20s and 30s and whatever and we do the you know like oh is he gonna text back is he gonna oh what if he does like that sort of that anxiety we think we don't want that anymore and then the second that goes away we are like oh okay that's it women crave danger in sexuality it's a a sort of biological part of what women want which is talking to my single friends like it's like their stories are so like I'm like oh my god and then what happened whereas you know my married friends and I like we have all kinds of the same complaints and the same occasionally there's some like exciting you know fun thing that crops up but for the most part monogamy does not have that breathless Mm -hmm. anxiety and I think that that anxiety even though it kills us when we're in our 20s. I think that when we're in our 40s and 50s and beyond, it's the very thing that makes us just want to go to the gym, for example. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I think
0: society has put us in a place where we link our desire to feeling like that where maybe in a monogamous relationship you don't because the language is not quite there either around it that's why you can't voice the terrible things you might want to do or or happen to you because we don't really know how to talk about that yet as women and that's why we find it a bit uncomfortable when women do particularly women in monogamous relationships doing all sorts of things that seem adventurous our breathlessness comes from being wanted a bit more and yeah. you, you feel like you lose that
1: I want to talk about Joan though because talking about danger and sexuality this is the um lead character the heroine I suppose of I'm only halfway through please novel. don't blow the yeah no spoilers the <gasps> spoiler <for me. laughs> But your new novel, Animal, and she's a really complex character, isn't she? Because she's sexually voracious, she's sophisticated, but she's kind of defined by this tragedy that happens to her in her childhood. This quote, I think it's on the book jacket from her, it says, if someone asked me to describe myself in a single word, depraved is the one that I would use. I mean, where does that come from in your imagination?
2: One of the things that I really wanted to explore with Animal was the idea that when women get angry, we're called mad. And, mm-hmm. and crazy and, and, and we use words like depraved for all of the women who have been like, I feel seen by Maggie, Lena and Sloan. There have been a lot of people who have said like, but they were kind of sluts, right? It's like, I was getting so tired of that judgment of women and of the way that we judge each other. So for me, Joan, when she's saying she's depraved, she's kind of owning the language that's being used against her. Mm-hmm. is her point in doing that it's like this is what all right, I am this like I'm not gonna say like don't call me this. I'm gonna say this is what I am now what are you gonna do? I think her saying that is her kind of saying in a sense, I don't think I'm depraved, but this is what depraved means in in the mm-hmm. world right now mm-hmm. and yeah. so and so I will
0: accept it. But some of the things she does, it does make you feel uncomfortable, which I love reading a book that makes me feel uncomfortable. They must be some of the things you've witnessed or have happened in your life. I remember you on another podcast talking about a story of when you were very young in your 20s and you were watching a couple having dinner together and you just took a piece of steak off the man's Oh, plate, God, yes. Which, oh, God. you know, obviously his his wife, partner, whatever, if that had been me, there you would have seen my rage.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's really funny. You should bring that up. Cause I, I try to forget about that. I can't, I, I forgot that I said <laughs> about that, but I was like 20 or 21, whatever. I, I walk past a table of a group of men and women, husbands and wives, I assume eating at this fancy steakhouse. And I just took a piece of steak off of, one of the men's plate and put it in my mouth. And I just cannot, But be- I mean, I I cannot believe I did that now being, <laughs> if I saw my daughter do that, I would probably put her in jail. So <laughs> I'm just so like, it's haunting the idea of what, um, uh, but anyway, I'm sorry. So the point is, if, if if I were the woman now, if I were the, the wife standing there, just like you said, Lorraine, I would probably, fr- I'd be like, get the off of my husband's plate of meat. If, I'm, if anyone's going to eat it, I am. And I'm, I'm going to be unapologetic. <laughs> such a symbol. His uh, wife, whoever it was, did not do that. And if she had, I probably would have walked away from it and told the story at least for the next three or four years. Like, oh my God, and then his crazy wife got angry. And it's just so funny that we we are in these places. And but she would be crazy. You would say crazy wife. I mean, I that's think, exactly uh, how it would end uh, up. Uh, I would have at the time, for yeah. sure, because that would have been my power in it. My power yeah. would have been to be able to say that about her mm-hmm. and to be like, oh, her husband would have liked me to keep eating his steak, but she's crazy. We're always trying to protect our places of power by putting down people in the place right beneath us at whatever time that is. And I think it's it's survival, but it's really dangerous mm-hmm. and, and it, it doesn't age well.
0: It's an actual recognized medical symptom of the perimenopause, this kind of uh, lack of estrogen in the brain. You do not have as much control over your rage and the rage is infuriating. And we've both had it. You know, we've both had it to the Mm. point of throwing things and stories we've told many times on the podcast. Are you aware of what's coming your way? Because you're 41 now. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think it would be fascinating for you in that stage as someone who chronicles the changing Yeah. Emotions of women.
2: I mean, I don't know. I don't think we can know what to expect until it happens. I will say that I am given to tremendous bouts of rage since I've been in my twenties. So I am worried Have hearing you say that because I can't imagine how much more I could. I was telling this story the other day, you know, I work from home and now with my, with this book coming out and with the stuff I'm doing on three women, the show. And so, you know, I've like 10 meetings a day I I live out in the country so but a lot of people out here who are out here full time either don't have jobs or or whatever but I do and I understand that a lot of the people who kind of come to the house aren't used to that so I put up a sign that says you know in meeting please don't knock or but this is the country and people don't you know then they'll just come around to the window and like you know (laughs) So anyway, I had this note up and this man who was working on our well rang the bell, even though I had a note up and then also proceeded to cut my internet line. And I just went out there and I was like, <laughs> like super loud, <laughs> screamed it. There were a bunch of people in the yard, like working on the well, my husband's out there. And I just screamed. At the top of my lungs, and then closed the door and went back inside. Like I just needed everyone to mm-hmm. know that I was very <laughs> angry. <laughs> and my husband comes in and he's like, "Are you crazy?" And I'm like, "No. In fact, I'm depressed. I think that you know, having lost my parents when I was young, you know, it was it was very hard for me. I think it pretty much kicked off a, a pre-perimenopausal." Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Early in my life, so I'm. I fear for what my husband will have to deal with as it oh. as it gets worse. You lost them in your
1: 20s, didn't you, Lisa? Mm. Any time's a terrible time, but I've read that you've said that you're wildly fearful about life and in death.
2: And I think that's part of what animal comes from too. Is mm-hmm. this sort of like, I never feel secure my life were safe at all, at at any juncture. It's always a balancing act of me trying to sort of move through the day, even though I'm in the middle of crippling anxiety. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think there's a lot of rage about that. There's anger whenever there's a why me aspect, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, why do I have to be riddled with this crippling anxiety? And you walk around and like, you know, sometimes it's a sunny day and people are happy, go lucky. And you're just like, what? Uh, You know, there's just like Mm -hmm. anger about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, not to say that I'm upset when other people are happy. One of the things about the pandemic that was interesting is like, I felt like all of a sudden, everyone was in my zone. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, this, oh, you know, like all Eeyore. And I'm like, oh, this is my standard operating procedure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you get some therapy or do you take antidepressants? How do you deal with crippling anxiety?
2: You know, I've been in therapy a lot. I'm not currently this moment in therapy. And I'm going to say the most awful thing. And I don't currently have time right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <There> <laughs> I know, I know how stupid that sounds. I have a psychiatrist who prescribes medicine. But he doesn't He's done talking to me, he said, I have some of the worst he's ever seen. Mm. Um, so What happened was I started taking Prozac and I started taking it like a, a pretty normal medium dose, but it started, it made me so tired. It made me feel like 20 to 30% better, but around like 9 PM when I should have been continuing to work, like after my daughter goes to sleep, which is really, you know, the time that I work, I was getting so sleepy and also getting the, you know, what Prozac like i supposed to do the, ah, fuck it, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> worry about it tomorrow kind of a thing. So, you know, I called him and I'm like, yo, my career is going to go down the tubes if I keep trying to get better <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> at being not anxious. So we talked a lot and I'm trying to find uh, that sort of middle ground where mm-hmm. the anxiety is less. I have very crippling OCD, mainly is linked to a hypochondrius. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just keep looping the same thought. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's kind of a balancing act of part of what enables me to do work and to be and to have the sort of thoughts and whatever I, I have is because I have this like looping brain, mm-hmm. that's, like sick. But in order to calm that stuff, I'm also taking away some of the edge of, of what. So, it's hard. It's, so it's a it affects very, your
1: creativity, is yeah. part of your creative process. Gosh. How does it affect your parenting?
0: You have a four-year-old daughter? She's six now, yeah. You had an uneasy relationship with your mom, didn't you? What aspects of it were?
2: My mom was just she was a depressive from the point time that I was like four years old. She would talk to me like I was an adult because I mm-hmm. she had no other real friends. We were incredibly close, but it wasn't like, you know, the sort of the TV mom. But with my daughter, it was really hard for me to sit there and look at her. And um, be present with her and not fearful of, mm-hmm. of whatever might come to pass. If I'm having a really great time, I suddenly catch myself and go, whoa, 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 chill out. Like, Don't, don't be happy because you don't know when this is going to get ripped from you.
0: Oh, gosh. One of the things I did want to talk to you about as well is women and other women, which we've touched on a bit before. Because I think, as you say, we often talk about what we don't want men to do and the patriarchy and the context and constructs we live Mm -hmm. within. But we are often... More fearful of talking about how we please other women, what we want other women to think of us and and worried all the time about the pressure of what other women Mm -hmm. think of us. How do we navigate that? I think you get better when you get older about Mm -hmm. what other women feel about you and what you think about other women. What have you learned about our interactions with other women that would be helpful for a midlife listener?
2: I'm I'm still learning and still trying to understand. I think it has so much to do with kind of the way that we were parented and raised ourselves. And for me, I felt like I was always taking care of my mother in a sense. And I did not have to take care of my father at all. And he was, I always, my father's love was, very like secure for me. So with men, I find it so much easier to tell men how I feel. It's not that I prefer being friends with men because I, I find women on the whole to be more complex and and interesting when you get down to it but I find it easier to be friends with men I I find friendships with women I'm constantly trying to walk this tightrope of not offending and being the right amount of supportive and not being too didactic we all feel that though don't we Okay, good. I mean, not good, but yeah. I I mean, it's just
0: a minefield. Mm. Yeah,
2: it really is. It's we're just we're so sensitive to the sort of vibrations of other people. It's biological Mm -hmm. thing, but it's also societally the way that we've been raised to you know to make sure everyone's kind of happy in a room. Mm. Obviously, the older the woman that I talk to, the the more I see the not giving a fuck Mm -hmm. too much, and that I think frees one up. I, I find being friends with older women or older people in general. I always have gravitated towards that Mm because I feel like, you know, you're just like skipping ahead. You're learning so much earlier from people who have just been around longer it's just a natural Mm -hmm. thing and there's just so much wisdom to be gleaned
1: in the research for this interview we read that your dream is to write short stories in the Cotswolds and teach at the University of Bath I mean we love that you love our little (laughs) island (laughs) across the pond
2: tell us why why do you like the UK I've been um an Anglophile since I was Mm -hmm. a child the people in the UK I just feel more Connected to than I do to American Americans. What I've found from I traveled a lot, you know, around the world for three women, and talk to you know talking to people about books in other countries is so refreshing and amazing. But the puritanical nature of of America is so much judgment inherent. In an American audience, you have to be one extreme or the other. There's very little room for nuance. And the UK, I find, to be the exact opposite of that.
1: We're like yeah. your older friends, like you were talking about with friends. Like us Brits are like the old people, <laughs> maybe, in your life.
0: Yeah. I just <laughs> wonder if it would have been um, a different book, Three Women, if you'd done Three British Women. Because yeah. I think in many ways, because our sex education in this country is so terrible in a uh, formative and young age, mm. and we can't yeah. talk about it under any circumstances. And when we do, we have to laugh at it in a nudge-nudge mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. kind of way. I just wonder what Lena and Sloan and Maggie would have been like here.
2: I think that Lena, Sloan, and Maggie, they gave me so much of themselves. And it was very rare here in the US. I feel like in the UK, yeah. I would have found more people to mm-hmm. give me that much, frankly. Mm-hmm. Well, oh,
1: that's, that's one for the list then. We want you to write that book. So
0: what is happening next? We've got animal and you've got the tv program so what what next are you writing a book as we
2: speak yes i am going to my next book is going to be a sort of reported memoir on grief
0: wow that will be very useful for people so that's talking to people about their experience
2: Yeah, and my own too
1: so We really look forward to that and the TV show and everything else and finishing our copies of Animal. Very exciting. Thank you so much. It's so early there. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us.
2: Thank you, Lorraine. Thank you, Tripp. This has been absolutely, I love the show and I love everything you guys do. And I'm really grateful and honoured to be on. So thank you. Thank you. This week, we've been trying and testing
1: hair products. And Lorraine, you've had a bit of an epiphany about hair rollers, of all things. Are you, are you sure this isn't a nostalgia noodle? I mean, that's what my life's come to,
0: where <laughs> hair rollers are an epiphany. Good God. <laughs> anyway, welcome to Postcards from Midlife, everyone. Now, I have had an epiphany about hair mm. rollers, and I quite like it, because I went to have a blow dry which is a very rare thing for me to do because I just can't sit still for that long and I find it a little dull and they put hair rollers in Ooh. and sat me under a 1950s style thing and I had the most magnificent bouncy hair because I know you struggle you you
1: kind of worry about your hair not having volume and being no, thin no sometimes volume. so the rollers yes, do. did it, it for you? It has been slightly fragile and thinning since the oestrogen mm.
0: went on holiday but I've done various things I've been using that nioxin shampoo which is mm. really good actually and all the treatments for it. But I would say the hair rollers, if you do want volume on fine hair, do you want volume on any hair actually, are Mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant because they lift at the root. So... I thought, well, I just like hair But you know me, Trisha, I'm always ahead of the curve and on trend. <laughs> I'm still in the front row in yeah. my head, obviously. And actually, they are a trend because Farrah Fawcett is a 1970s influence now for the mm-hmm. catwalk for this year. So there's a lot of Farrah Fawcett hair. You Google that. You need you rollers for that. You need rollers for that, mm. and there's something on TikTok called uh, the '90s blowout, which is not anything to do with food, Trish. It's <laughs> it's that big hair, big waves. Oh yes, properly done look. These all require old school rollers. A bit Anthea Redfern. Can you remember her? Oh,
1: the Generation Game. Generation Lovely Game. Lovely Anthea.
0: Yes. Well, that's the hair I dream of. So, I've had an adventure, a roller coaster this week. It's all mm-hmm. sort of fun. I feel like I need a sort of monogram dressing gown and some fluffy slippers to go with my hair in rollers. But this is how you do it. And this is what you buy. Are you listening? Okay. Why, um, we're listening. You might like jujie hair. You've got to start with a volumizing shampoo. Now, mm-hmm. our lovely friend George Northwood has got a whole new range of shampoos out a brilliant volumizing one um, it's called Underdone and it's also got a really good setting thing that you put in just before
1: you put your rollers on mm-hmm. so setting lotion the- that sounds very old fashioned. Well, it's not a lotion. It's more just a quick spray. Oh, okay. Don't distract a me. Don't anyway, distract So you.
0: your starter roller is your Velcro roller, quite mm. cheap. You can get them in boots and super drug. I got the Denman Thermo ceramic rollers, £5 mm. for five. So I needed Ooh. two packs. Okay. You've got to make sure that the roller is wider than the hair section that you're yeah. putting it in. Otherwise, you end up in kind of comedy tangles. And you roll over the top of the roller for volume and under for curls. So you roll oh, over the top. Okay. See what I'm doing for I can see
1: Nobody else can, but I can.
0: <laughs> you apply it to damp, not wet hair, because mm-hmm. it's quite fragile when it's wet hair. You can let it dry or you can dry it. um If you get really foamy ones, you can keep them in overnight. So we it might be a bit uncomfortable. If- lying on those not really no okay No, you'll be okay you can do it and if you want to know how to do it there's a lot of as you can imagine tutorials Mm -hmm. on youtube how to take them in but the great thing is once you've taken them out you have to turn your head upside down zhuzh it and flip it back again and suddenly you've got double the amount of hair you can leave them in anything between 10 and 30 minutes so you can do it while you're getting ready in Mm -hmm. the morning but once you've tried the Velcro one, you then move on to
1: the heated roller. Trish, oh, which okay. Might take that's you back in time advanced. even further. I think my mum had a set um, of those on a dressing table.
0: Yes. Well, uh, Good Housekeeping we have just done a tried and tested on them. So the the top one that they liked was the Babyliss Salon Ceramic, mm-hmm. and that's fifty pounds. You get twelve rollers, and then the number two for them was the Remington pro Lux heated rollers 45 pound for 20 oh um, okay. and that got highly rated across lots of magazine beauty and um, mm-hmm. beauty websites so you might want to try that if you don't want to do rollers you can do the rags the overnight rags yes i remember those yeah, you just wrap it
1: round. yes that's um, what we had as like, little girl that? ringlets we had ringlets yes my mum yeah. used to do uh, that uh,
0: yeah there's something called the satin pillow wrap as mm. well which you might like
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: if you want ringlets then you've got to go for the bendy foam rollers yeah um, they're very cheap and you get 10 of them but I actually I've got some of those that
1: Mabel wanted she's 10 and I mm-hmm. found them
0: almost impossible yeah to use, I have to say so
1: where does the but, curling tong fit into all of this then is it it's just a totally different thing 'Cause I it's thought diff- everyone it, used it. It, curl, it gives
0: you a curl, it doesn't yeah. lift your roots. Oh, so it's the roots, roller it? gives you yes. the massive volume at the root. So it be does nice. it lifts the root, lifts the yeah. hair up, makes it look like yeah. it's a whole bigger do, yeah. as it were. Yeah. But it made me feel very glamorous. So you're gonna be enjoyed.
1: doing it a lot, do you think, or special occasions? What do you mean? A lot is that? Well, you do it every day. day, or what? No, I don't know. No, Trish, do
0: I look like the kind of woman who has time to put rollers in her I don't hair? No,
1: every day. Pop them in after a swim. Couldn't you dry them on the way home? <laughs> that would look nice. I could I on my. Can't get
0: them under my bike helmet. That, well, no, that's be the true. problem there. You see. <laughs>
1: Well, what have I, you been doing? Well, I'm intrigued by this because I do you want think I should
0: use a colour shampoo. Yeah,
1: colour shampoo. So I, I think there's a kind of, do. is it worth using? Is it just a sort of marketing thing? What do you do? And I think the first thing you've just got to, to understand, which I kind of didn't really know, is you have to understand the colouring process and what happens to the hair cuticle. Because basically, when you have your hair dyed, the cuticle is open, the dye goes into it, and then the cuticle needs to be sealed again. So you've got to be aware of that because lots of things can make that cuticle open and the dye. I run out and obviously shampoo these shampoos specifically target that so one thing I didn't know was that you shouldn't wash your hair for at least 72 hours after you've had it colored I did not know that I did not know that now that seems quite basic to me because that's how long it can take for the cuticle to fully close once it's been dyed and then when you wash it you must wash it in cool water not hot water because every time you wash your hair and you try you need to try and wash it as, as infrequently as possible because every time it just removes some of the color and it leads to kind of fading and dullness because every time it's opening that cuticle again and the two biggest things that fade the um, colour treated hair are water so washing it and UV light so you have to protect your hair from sun exposure oh. so there that's that's good basic knowledge about hair colour but you. shampoos now apparently it's all about using a sulphate free shampoo they're the ones that kind of they don't lather very much and then they don't strip the colour because sulphates rough up the cuticle and allow the, the, the colour to seep out but of course sulfate free shampoos are a little bit more expensive than the sort of ones wow. you might just buy you know for a fiver but um, if you've invested in getting your hair colored you want to kind exactly. of exactly if you've spent 150 day. quid having your hair colored buying oh, spending yeah, 18 pounds in shampoo or more might be uh, but worth it so some shampoos they for colored hair actually contain dyes that are supposed to stick to your hair and help renew the color and right. um, yellow dyes are added to products for blondes and they usually end up with a honey color and brown dyes are included for shampoos with those with obviously brown, dark hair, but they, these are rinse off products. So you have to bear that in mind. But I've been trying purple, these purple and obviously I've got blonde hair. So I've been trying these purple and violet shampoos for blonde hair. And the the, the logic is that violet is the opposite color to yellow on a color chart or blonde on a color chart. So including right. kind of purple or violet pigments contrasts any kind of yellowy brassiness and gives you a much kind of cooler, fresher blonde color because blonde can end up going yellow, a lightened brunette can go a bit orange and gray hair as well because it can go yellow so um, due to pollution or environmental factors and these kind of purple and violet shampoos can work for all of those things so i've been trying moroccan oil blonde perfecting Oh, Purple yeah. shampoo, which is eighteen pounds eighty five, sulfate free, and that is gorgeous. I love the smell; it just makes me think of summer. Yeah. It's a new one, they, and they have that amazing summer range. I always buy that for holidays, and it really I does. Like the hair mask. Oh, it's gorgeous! It's really nice, and my hair really did feel sort of soft and silky, and nice color. I liked it, and I also like the Kerastase Blonde Absolute Ban Ultraviolet. Do you like the way I said that? That's twenty one pounds. We should do the adverts. <laughs> booking now for voiceovers, but that was another really lovely one and what I really again similar kind of effect soft silky lovely happy with the color but it smells like one of those dip tea candles it's absolutely gorgeous it's very very nice mm. but a good all-round color shampoo is uh, one of my favorites whether for whatever color you've got so not necessarily these purple ones putting violet pigment in is the Rita Hazan New York true color shampoo you of all people must know who she is do you know who she is no okay <laughs> she's JLo's hair colorist. what and she turned how Beyonce. do I not know this she turned Beyonce blonde she does Mariah Carey she does all the divas she invented why do you think cool I know about makeup. divas eh? well yes I wonder it's all coming back round again isn't it to you yes as always <laughs> <laughs> but she has a, a this shampoo that's 21 pounds and you can use it on any colour again sulfate free it's just gorgeous it's really nice and just say the advice is if you're using a colour shampoo you should still do a hair mask once a week try and wash it as infrequently as possible and if you have afro hair obviously all of that applies but you need some extra TLC too in the form of everyday moisturization. and you need to it's recommended that if you've got your hair lightened or coloured with afro hair that you put through like an argan oil or a jojoba if that's how you say it or always use a leave-in conditioner yeah. so it is all about the conditioning but it's also about yeah. keeping those cuticles closed It's nostalgia noodle time, and with all that chat with Lisa today about female desire, we thought we'd look back to our first ever kisses. Lorraine, come on, tell them, tell them the name. Who did you first snog the face off? Vernon.
0: (laughs) Who calls their child Vernon in the, I suppose, what would it have been, mid-80s, 84, 85? (laughs) I mean... It's a serial killer's name, isn't it? Oh, tell us about Vernon. Actually, in a Cornish comprehensive, it's not right, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's a bit before I think it was junior school was my first. Really? Not a snob- oh,
1: a snog off, starter. snog off.
0: Yeah, early starter, Trish. Mm. I'm a bit younger than you remember, so I'm slightly different. Oh yeah, different, different
1: generation. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Isn't it? Okay, so oh, tell it us really... the details. You're not going to oh, say anything more about Vernon in the play, in the in on the field, the field. Okay, does well, that really much count? Of... Was it tongues? What, you. T- I beg your pardon. Were there tongues involved? Was it a French kiss? Do you remember French kissing? No. 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 Oh well, that's all we're supposed to be talking about. Not just a little oh, peck you want on the... French kissing. Yeah, come on, French that's kissing. Not Vernon not vernon that's jonathan jonathan okay all right on the then. moors on John... the moors On oh, Bobby moors.
0: <laughs> very daphne de maurier isn't it oh. well when you grow up in a small tiny village there are very oh. few places without a bus stop there are right. very
1: few places to go to snog But he was my first proper boyfriend oh right think. okay yeah. so it wasn't just a snog yeah. and snog and run situation which mine was? Well, yeah, it was a bit like that, really. When I say proper boyfriend, it was the first boy I had a proper kiss. Yes. With. I don't
0: think we went anywhere or did any boyfriend, girlfriend.
1: No, because there was no nowhere on but the Vernon
0: bus. Vernon was my much younger first kiss. Peck, oh. I suppose you would say.
1: And I suppose you what still about remember. You? Well, mine was, I was about, I was quite old actually, I was about 15 or 16. It was at the Church Hall Disco Sunday night. It was called Family Circle, the Disco. <laughs> that's not right is it 15 it's (laughs) terrible anyway it was sort of back at that time do you remember when boys used to wear farrah trousers and pringle diamond jumpers there was kind of that, Ooh, those... Sort I did never encounter
0: the boy oh. in a Pringle Diamond Jumper. And if and I farrah had, trousers. I would have been going quickly the other way. Well, exactly. 000. Well, it
1: wasn't really my type. <laughs> I was very shy and I couldn't possibly have spoken to a boy, but <laughs> I ended up sitting next what, to... you kissed him instead. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we didn't have a conversation. I ended up sitting next to this boy called Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Derek. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in his... Oh, <dear>. Derek! Derek! <laughs> Derek! in his Farrah Trousers and Pringle oh, Jumper. Oh, my goodness, Trish,
0: this is terrible. This is a scene from, a, from an Alan... Thing you did. You basically stalked Alan Partridge. Basically snogged Alan, Alan Partridge.
1: Basically. And it was about 9 30 pm, I think, when he lunged in for a kiss. And it was very much, you know, the sort of washing machine. It was a bit of a bit of a shock with the tongue you going
2: like it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like a washing machine. It was awful. But the worst thing was my mum walked in because she came to collect me and she was absolutely oh. mortified. I think she thought I was oh. a bit of a Bit of an naughty a goer. one It was like, oh Is my god. Goer? I don't know. Can we say that? I a don't goer? Know if we can was With a bit of a goer Yeah, anyway, that was it. Obviously that was my uh my last time at the family circle. No. <laughs> I avoided that for sure. bless. Do you think god Vernon and Derek remember? Vernon and us? Derek. Yeah. Do you think they remember they us? They don't remember. They don't remember no. us, no.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Postcards from Midlife. Thank you for listening, even our new listeners in Czechoslovakia, which we heard Mm -hmm. about this week, didn't we, Trish? If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and rate and review us too. And make sure you download your episodes so they count on our listener numbers because that will be super helpful. Please and thank you.
1: And don't forget to join us on our Facebook group. In fact, if you wanted to post about your first snogs, we would love to hear it on the Facebook group. And obviously you can names (laughs) and their names, yep. And you can join us on Instagram or email us at hello at postcardsfromidlife.com. Goodbye. Bye.
0: Planning for your next trip?